welcome to this week's episode of Tired and Thriving, a podcast recognizing just how tired and exhausted we all are while discussing ways to still thrive. Whether it's something big like going out for a picnic uh, with friends or something small like taking a sip of water, we're here to help each other thrive. I'm your host, Samantha Gray, and this week's guest is Megan Peraz. Megan is a director, storyboard artist, and animator in animation who is an avid Ultimate Frisbee player, a sports fan, which is not my forte, but I fully support the sports, and last for best is launching a Kickstarter for her graphic novel called One More Year. Thank you for being with me, Megan. Thank you, Samantha. I'm so (laughs) thrilled to be here with you today. Um, Is there anything else you're maybe working on that I didn't mention that you'd like to bring up to the listeners or? I think you nailed it. Oh, cool. Yes. Hit it. Uh, So I want to start with um, what started your path into art and animation? Sure. Um, I think my path is pretty similar to a lot of kids who grew up loving cartoons. I was sitting in front of the TV as like a seven-year-old watching Looney Tunes and drawing them as fast as I could while they were on TV. Like... And that was before you could, like, pause things, as you remember. Like, you had to, like, catch the show when it was on. You didn't have a picture of them. You couldn't Google Roadrunner and Coyote. You just had to sit there and draw. (laughs) So I would get there every every, uh, Saturday morning or whatever, and I'd sit there with my pencil and crayons and try to draw all the cartoons I saw on TV. Oh, that's cool. I didn't do that. You didn't? (laughs) No. When did you start drawing? I I just stared at it and then maybe I like paused it if my parents taped it on VHS. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. VHS, you could tape it, but it, you remember it wouldn't pause forever. It would pause for a little while because I remember I think I did that too. And then it would start going again. I'd be like, no, I needed that exact frame oh back to draw what I wanted to draw. And then you can never, then it was gone. You can never find it again. Yeah, you can never stop at that exact frame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people, we have it so good now. I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> Telling seven-year-old self that you could find a picture of anything you want on the internet at any given time or listen to any song you want at any given time. Uh, it's, I mean, truly blessed to blessed, blessed time. Here we are. <laughs> we made it. Uh, we made it. Well, so then uh, you started off with drawing like yeah. that, but then did you know that you wanted to be in animation? Uh, it, yeah, I think so. Pretty early on, it made sense. I have like a book report I did in maybe like fourth or fifth grade saying that I wanted to move to California and be an animator. I knew that was what I was going to have to do. Um, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, so a small town, not a lot of art and animation jobs, but I just loved cartoons. I could not stop watching them. I couldn't stop drawing them. That was how I related to the world was just drawing things and like drawing pictures. What was your most influential, like... What really, yeah, what really inspired you or... Oh my God, so many things. Um, but as I said, the beginning was like Chuck Jones, anything by Chuck Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, Roadrunner and Coyote were my favorite. Um, Bugs Bunny. And then when I got a little bit older, I really loved all the Nicktoons. I grew up right in that like sweet spot of like Rocco's Modern Life, oh, Doug and yes. Rugrats. So those cartoons were really inspiring to me. Um... The Disney stuff, of course. I think Lion King probably was one of the ones that yeah. like changed my life because it taught me that cartoons could be like beautiful and brilliant and artistic and funny, but they could also make you cry yeah. and feel things and, and tell like a really poignant story. Oh my god, spoiler alert, when Mufasa... <laughs> spoiler for spoiler. the Lion Spoiler for 1994's The Lion King. <laughs> when Mufasa died. <laughs> yeah. And we all saw Mufasa. <laughs> We saw Simba just like standing there. Nah, yeah. Like, that zoom out. That was dramatic. I know. And the amount of like guilt Simba feels and like this idea of like running away from your problems and responsibility and then like to come back and have to face your past. I mean, yeah. I thought that was a beautiful thing and it was really deep for like, you know, I think I was like around 11 or 12. Yeah. When that happened. Also, it didn't hurt that I was obsessed with Elton John and he did all the music for The Lion King. So, like, oh. it was like the perfect storm, storm of inspiration <laughs> for me. It was just like animation. This is it. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I love the way they drew the lions, too. I'd never seen like animals drawn that way before either. Like, it was so unique and expressive. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd never seen like lions quite drawn that way. No, never. Love their facial shapes and like the geometry of their faces. Yeah. Definitely. Um, well, then, you know, now that you are uh, in animation, directing, storyboarding, um, 
and knowing that animation is our full-time job, in what ways has animation helped you thrive and maybe not thrive? Um, thrive in that it's a great way to make a living in Los Angeles. There's a, you know, I, when I first moved to LA, it took me about two and a half years to get my first animation gig. And I was not thriving then. It was really hard <laughs> to get by. Um, but, you know, when I first landed my first real adult job, it was it was life-changing for me. I, mm. Then, you know, like when you have a job, this is universal, this isn't t- unique to animation, but like when you're finally an adult and you start making money and you can start to do the fun things in your life, your quality of life just improves so much. And I'm sure I could go on like a big long political tangent oh my about, gosh. about the middle class and you can cut all this out. <laughs> but uh, no, and, and, and like, the shrinking middle class and how people just need to be able to make money to have a living. But like, yeah, the work-life balance is so important. Even when you're doing a job that's like, high intensity and you're working long hours, I think you really do need to find those things that bring you like joy in life. And, you know, I, I used to, uh, if I can keep talking, am I talking yeah, too no, much? No, yeah. No. If, if I can keep talking, um, you know, I used to work for South Park and we would do 24 hour shifts and you, you'd get into work at like 10 AM and then you'd work till like seven, 8 AM the next day. And mm-hmm. I remember that those days off, like I'd get a day off after that. And one of the first things I would often do, because I lived close to the beach then, was I'd go and just jump in the ocean. Because to me, that was like the furthest thing away from sitting in front of a computer screen and doing like micro movements with my mouse for, you know, 20 hours while my eyeballs are like bleeding. Yeah. Uh, yeah so the, the, to get to the thriving part, like you, you, you're tired after that shift, but to go back to thriving, I had to do like the opposite of sitting in front of the computer screen and just throw myself into the ocean. I remember mm-hmm. sometimes I'd just go to the ocean and cry. I'd just be like tears streaming down my face because I'm just like, ah, we got yeah. the episode done. I'm, I'm a human being. I, I don't exist in this like pixel digital world anymore. So, yeah. Was, is yeah. that, did you get OT for that or was that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, they paid us, they paid us double time and stuff. Wow. That's was, so nice because, uh, I've definitely done 24 hour shifts that were not paid. That's not cool. <laughs> that's when you're inexperienced and yeah. like go into jobs that really pay low. Oh no. <laughs> and you're like, this is my dream. <laughs> and, the, and that's why unions are great. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Um, yeah, what a crazy experience, although getting paid for it, that's like a silver, a very slight silver lining. Wait, we were like, talking, wait, isn't it awesome that we got, that I got paid for 24 hour shifts? It's yeah. Just, given, given, like, the fact that you're like saying that, you know, like, well, at least you got paid, but the idea of anyone doing work that they're not getting paid for sucks, so. Yeah, uh, hope- yeah. Well, um, I say that, but you know, I just spent, baby animators. Yeah. Baby animators don't. You, <laughs> no, I say that because I, I, when I first moved to LA, I interned, and I that was before that they had the laws that you had to get paid to be an intern or college credit, and I remember interning for free. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. there's mm-hmm. some dark sides to animation in that regard. Um, people it, definitely take advantage of people's desire to get in the industry, and yeah. they take advantage of the full energy they take advantage of the how much are you willing to do for your passion exactly yeah 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 like and oh it's your passion you should just be grateful to be here yeah 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 like thing. get be grateful you're being being paid anything oh i hate that <laughs> we have to va- value ourselves sam yeah and yeah. i think you know obviously there's a lot of 20 somethings yeah. that um they just don't realize that yet and mm-hmm. they get taken advantage and we just have the years of experience to be like, we don't want to do that. <laughs> right. You know, I think, you know, when you're young, I won't say work for free. I know I would, I would never say that, but like when you're young and you can get away with that sort of thing, fine. But when you're older and more established, yeah, never work for free. Like value your time, value, value your abilities, value your years of experience. I understand some people have to do what they have to do to get in the door, but, um, cause I don't, regret some of those connections I made yeah, back in the day but definitely. also you know don't let the system take advantage of you don't let people take advantage of your labor and your talents you know yeah you're worth something it's um it's crazy because as much as we want to um what is it we wish there was a daddy <laughs> or like a mommy that would coddle us or make sure that we have all we need but at the same time, uh, especially that's something you learn in a union is that it is mostly the members that have to stand up and yeah. uh, advocate for ourselves. Right. Uh, uh, which is always the hardest. And we, we see this at work too. That's why like 
people, we, we often encourage each other not to work overtime hours. I know it happens sometimes, but like all it does is make everything harder for everybody else. If one person's working OT and turning in like really, really intense boards and they're not getting paid for it, they're just doing it because they want to do it because they want to push themselves. Well, it's not good because then you're, you're setting a precedent that like that's what everyone should be doing. And then the studio starts to expect that. Yeah. So that's why you got to respect your labor and get paid for, you know, the hours that you work. Yeah. In, and my, know, in my opinion. Yeah. Know that you are a team. You're a that, team. Yeah. That you aren't just, I mean, as much as your work will shine individually, mm-hmm. but you are trying to help everybody else and yeah. not just yourself. Um, I feel like that's one of our biggest, uh, Mm, lessons yeah <laughs> not sure yeah. we're especially as directors mm-hmm. I feel that's a big thing you learn or um I think that really sets a good director is knowing that this is a team this isn't just like this is your time to shine as you know in a sense top of the food chain. right no I look at it as it's a chance to like bring out the best in my artists like knowing people's strengths and weaknesses and like putting people in the position where they can best like show off their talents and their abilities. It's not about me. It's about like, you know, figuring out what, what scenes the board are. We've done this together, Yeah. you know, cause we work together on Tuca and Birdie. And sure I think did. it's like, you would ask me sometimes which scenes I wanted. And I remember there was a scene that I thought I wanted, but I was like, no, Jackie's going to be better at that. Mm. It was, and it was the one, um, the fledging day one where, there with, is, the with the uh, dirty old man. The dirty old man. And, and <laughs> you asked me if I wanted that or the other one. I was like, no, I think Jackie's got that. Uh, you know, like, I think it's part of directing or, you know, is, is knowing, like, your people. Or I think it was um, Carl had that scene where he, like, punched out the guy catching the leaf. Oh, yeah. And I knew he'd be so good at that, like, slapstick moment. Yeah. So, like, I took something else and I was like, Carl's going to be the one yeah. for that. So I think, I think it's, like, just putting setting people up for, like, knowing where they'll shine. And putting them in positions to succeed, that's, like, how I look at directing Directing. a lot of times. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, which do you enjoy more, being an animator or a storyboarder? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I don't think I have the patience to be an animator anymore. Like, animation is so much grunt work. I I think think it... um, I liked it, but I did it for South Park for many years, but I like being more big picture. I like being more now like on the story side of things where I can set up jokes, where I can be in more in control of like the timing and the pacing mm-hmm. of not just a single shot, but like the whole scene or even the whole episode. So um, while I loved it and I'm so glad I have that background as an animator and I'd really love to dig back into some 2D stuff again someday, um, I like boarding and I, I also really like directing. Yeah. As someone who has worked with you personally, I've always been paying attention to how you tell a story visually and the way you set up shots and the jokes that come from them. And I know that um, when we worked on Tuka and Birdie, even though you brought up how I would give you the choice, and even though you knew that Jackie or Carl could do a better job on these scenes, um, there I always gave you the choice because I knew that you could also hit those marks. Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I hope I could. I, I mean, I don't you, know. <laughs> uh, yeah, as someone who's sure. like seen your work and, you know, worked with you, I know you could. Um, yeah. And there is always these moments when we work together that you always came up with poses or jokes that made me go, oh, that's really great. I wish I thought of that. Or I would give you a direction and you would really go for it. And, um, and then I would see the reaction of people laugh and, uh, resonate with it, you know, once it was all done. So, um, do you ever feel like drawing comics has helped you be a better storyboard artist or visual storyteller? Or would you say storyboards made you better at drawing comics? I think it, that's like a chicken and the egg question. And <laughs> which, that's a Tuka, that's a Tuka analogy because we're talking about birds, but, um, no, uh, it's both. It, I think they just feed into each other, um. I definitely like use things I've learned. The cool thing about storyboarding, I should say, let me back up, is that not only am I boarding and I'm learning things, but I get to like learn from everybody else's styles, everybody else's posing choices, and I'm gonna throw a compliment right back at you. Like there were times like your in-betweens on Tuca when she was doing something wild. Like <laughs> I love like I love when you work on a team and you're collaborative and you're you know, you're in a board team, you not only get to get better as yourself because you're drawing every day. But you're, uh, you get to see what everyone else brings to the table and you get to like see, oh, I like how 
Sam did this. I like how Jackie did this. I like how Jeff did this. I like how Steven did this. So I love like observing all the cool things that everybody else does and, and where their comedy comes from and the ways they time things differently. So I feel like that's a great learning opportunity. And then comics, what I like about that is it's all mine usually. And so that means, you know, when you're, when you're a board artist and when you're working on a show, as you know, it's what you think is funny and what you think is going to work, but you're ultimately serving the director. You're ultimately serving the show and the script. And for comics, it's what I think is funny. It's what pose, like all the choices are mine. So I think it also makes me a better board artist because I can't just lean on the director to tell me what is good or what they think is right. Or, you know, I, I myself have to make that choice of like, I want the character to be flat here. It's funnier if they're flat or no, this is a chance to like really go big with a pose because this moment needs to be silly and ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's the thing I love about comics. I, lo I love that it's my own and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> what yeah. I think is funny. <clears throat> it's almost like, um, you're the showrunner. <laughs> I am. Yeah. That's what it's felt like. I've had, I, I, you know, if we talk about my comic more, I, I do want to shout out some of the amazing artists that, that worked with me because I felt so lucky I got to like work with a really, a couple really incredible comics artists. Yeah. Well, actually, before we step into sure. that, when did you start going into comics? Um, well, I, that was another thing that I always loved. Like once, once I got past the like drawing Roadrun Coyote, then I would illustrate like picture books with my little sister. She used to like to write mm. a lot. And so I would sometimes illustrate things she wrote, or I would try to make stories of my own. And then I think I was in like, sixth or seventh grade was when I realized what comics were like, cause I didn't grow up with like my mom, my parents didn't buy me comic books. They were very, my mom was like, you are going to be a reader. You will read books. And I'm thankful for that too. That was great. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was around seventh grade that I started reading comics and my mind was blown. Like, I think I remember a friend was into X-Men and she gave me some X-Men comics and oh, wow. I was just like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, cause all the comics I knew were like the, the strips in like the funny pages, right? Like, yeah. you know, and those, that stuff's good too, like Garfield and stuff. But I was never one who could like come up with a four panel punchline. I don't think that's my forte mm, at all. Mm -hmm. I like more long form. So when I got into like X-Men and stuff that were tackling definitely more serious subject matter. And I mean, I think you and I both know there are so many cool queer themes in X-Men too. Yeah. Feared and hated because we're different. You just don't <laughs> understand me. Nobody understands this secret power that I have. And it's actually being gay. Is yeah. what it is, the secret power. No. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, I grew up like really loving the X-Men and then that's what got me into drawing comics is I just became obsessed with that and like Spider-Man. Then I found more indie comics and I started drawing my own. I have folders and folders full of like comics that I drew oh, wow. like little strips and not strips, but like more like so many things I didn't finish too, where I was like trying to write like longer form comics. Yeah. Like, but like deeper themes again, wasn't going for like a, you know, a, a one page punchline. I was trying to tell like a bigger, longer story. Usually. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, speaking of all of this, as <laughs> I've mentioned earlier, you're coming out with a graphic novel called one more year. Uh, now from the time we're recording, it hasn't launched yet, but when this episode's come out, you and your co-creator, Megan Kemp Gee, will have launched your Kickstarter for it. That's right. Uh, can you tell me about it starting from where the inspiration came from? I would love to. Um, <laughs> so it started back when I was doing indie comics and to ask like one of the other reasons I was doing comics is I was working at South Park and I was an animator, but I missed drawing a lot. Mm. So I started drawing my own indie comics. And I did a comic for Autostraddle for a while. Um, that's Wait, what's Autostraddle? It's a queer website. Oh, okay. um, and they have a lot of really great comic artists to this day, but I was one of the first. Um, anyway, I started doing that. And then one of the one-off comics I drew was about Ultimate Frisbee. And and it went kind of viral in the Ultimate community because it was about rain people wearing rainbow shorts in the Ultimate community and how everyone looks gay, but they're not actually gay in Frisbee. <laughs> Wait, and I'm guessing you had already started going into Frisbee at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was playing Ultimate Frisbee. That was my that was my outside of the industry way of escaping and having a good time. I put this weird sport called Ultimate Frisbee. It's <laughs> a combination of like basketball and football and it's played on the grass or on the beach and it's very fun. So I started playing that and kind of while that was happening, then this editor asked me from this Frisbee magazine was like, Hey, would you like to draw a Frisbee comic? And I was like, I'm too busy. I'm tired. <laughs> I am not thriving. <laughs> no, I'm tired. And, uh, he was like, well, think about it. And I reached out to a friend I knew who was a really good writer and I knew she loved comics as much as I did even more. Maybe mm -hmm. her name was Ro Megan Kemchi. And I said, Hey, maybe you'd like to do this with me. I don't have the bandwidth to like, 
write another comic, but maybe you'd like to join me. And so we teamed up and we brainstormed together and it became very obvious quickly that we were going to like, like we were on the same page. Like we thought the Mm. same things were funny. We, we both had like the same take on a lot of things, but also there were areas in which we saw things very differently that like allowed for comedy. And, um, yeah, so we started making this strip and it was like kind of a short strip. Like I was talking about like where we were just trying to be funny in a couple like pages or six panels or whatever, but I kept wanting to do longer things until eventually, um, one summer I went on a trip to like Spain. I played ultimate overseas and I also that summer lost a particularly heartbreaking like series of games at the national championship for beach ultimate. Oh wow. Um, my team and I, we lost and I was devastated and I was very soured on it. But then I started thinking about like, I had met this person overseas who I knew who had played in almost every ultimate tournament I could think of. And he had only won one tournament ever. And he's been playing for over a decade. It's like, and I thought to myself, why would you keep doing this thing when you keep failing? Why, what makes mm. you as a person, like, you just keep losing heartbreakingly, heartbreakingly over and over and over. Why do you keep coming back? Why do you keep coming back for one more year? And that was kind of the inspiration of the comic that I pitched to my writing partner was like, I want to tell this story about this sport that we love and we all dedicate way too much time to. I just flew overseas to play this stupid sport yeah. and it still breaks our heart. And Why do we keep doing it? And that was like the inspiration, which I think is actually a pretty universal theme. Like we could even say the same thing about animation, right? Like Mm -hmm. why do we keep doing this thing that doesn't pay (laughs) us sometimes and cancels our favorite shows and treats us badly? Why do we do it? Why do we keep coming back to this thing that we love? Um, And it is because we love it. But, um, and that was the inspiration for one more year. So it started out with this one main character who's going through this thing where he thinks he's cursed. He's like, I can't win anything. But then it became about like the larger story of the whole team. And we kind of went through the kind of archetypes you have on a sports team. You have, we have like the really fiery jock. She's like a super aggro, like weightlifting, like takes it way too seriously. Then we have the party girl who likes to like drink too much and party. And they're constantly at odds with each other because they're trying to find the balance between the two of them. Um, we have like total like math nerd. We have the like seasoned veteran who is like falling apart, but he's like so wise that everyone wants him on the team. Um, we have this retired legend named Wanders who has won everything and she gets inspired to come back and play with this team. And they kind of come <laughs> up with this scheme that they're going to do one more year and they're going to win a national championship in this silly sport. Um, if I've lost you on the ultimate no, stuff, no, no. <laughs> if I, I'm, if I may, uh, I feel like this, this is a comic though that we very intentionally wrote to be for everybody so if you like things like Haikyuu or Ted Lasso or the Mighty Ducks, mm-hmm. you don't have to love volleyball, soccer, or hockey to like those things. I think we've made a cast of characters that there are a lot of like just really universal themes. And you, you know, if you like the drama of a sports team, um, then you will enjoy this. And one other thing I want to point out that's unique about Ultimate is yeah. that it's a co-ed sport. So men and women, you know, and everything oh. in between, we all play on the same field at the same time. So unlike all those other properties that I just mentioned, this is like an equal gender team where, you know, there's like equal number of men and women on the field and it makes for a little bit more fun drama when you have (laughs) that going on. There's definitely some like gender dynamics that come into play in the comics. So I think that's what's kind of sets this ultimate comic apart from maybe like the other like sports mangas that a lot of people are used to. Yeah. Um... (laughs) I did I flip for a long time. No, no, no. You did great. <laughs> I did flip through your comic a bit. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, gosh. Uh, and I did see there was maybe some romantic drama of like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that something? Because <laughs> I feel like, what other kind of... Like, just as you said, it's um, the fact that there's equal men and women Mm -hmm. so it's not just all guys or all girls with that one (laughs) opposite gender yeah um but like what other kinds of dramas can you get from you know there being or is that revealing too much no it's not um so one of the plot points in one more year is that clint our main character his ex is the superstar of the other team so (laughs) imagine that like you have a horrible breakup with somebody And then you have to see them in, like, the most important game of your life. And you have to, like, stare down that person and you have to play against them on the field. 
And that happens a lot in this. And I mean, that happens to all genders too, I should add. That like, yeah. in Ultimate, there's the men's division, there's the mixed co-ed division, there's the women division. And I, I'm so I'm told there's a lot of uh, drama in the women's divisions, a lot of exes <laughs> on each other's teams. We, we allude to some of that a little bit in the book. But uh, yeah, this one's on, about a mixed team. So we kind of focused more on that that storyline but that's not to say that's the only drama there's not there's definitely not just heterosexual drama in this comic yeah it's it's everybody it's like you know you're you're close with your teammates and your best friends and uh oh are we more than friends i don't know (laughs) (laughs) is there like okay so if you see your ex on the field yeah would you be um do you feel like you'd be more motivated to (laughs) beat the other team or is it more like a hindrance Ooh, I mean, I can't personally speak from experience. I think I would, I think I would be exactly like the character in the book, like Clint. I would get into my own head about it and I would just be like, I have to win. I have to win. This is like my whole, my entire self-worth is hinging upon me defeating my ex because it's somehow growth that I've moved beyond them. But (laughs) I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe that's not the lesson of the book, Sam. (laughs) Maybe there are other things that are more important than beating your ex at the sports and you just gotta read one more year to find out what that theme is yeah (laughs) yeah there's a lot of really fun themes like that in the book so yeah there's definitely definitely romantic drama in the book (laughs) oh really would like to take this opportunity to shout out some of the incredible artists who worked on our book with us we were blessed to have some really really awesome uh collaborators that we believe it or not found on the internet uh the first being Allison Hu, uh, they are at Tofu the Bold on Instagram. Allison uh, is a, is our colorist because it became pretty clear early on that I wasn't going to have time to do all of the pencils, lines, and colors. So we needed to find someone who could really like nail the style that we were going for. And um, Allison was a godsend because not only were they a great colorist and they really understood what we were trying to do with the color palette, but Allison also really has a great sense of humor and got the kind of comedy that we were going for in this book. And I really think they were able to elevate, elevate the uh, comedy in so many ways with their colors. And um, we were super lucky to have them. So please, if you're out there looking for a colorist, hire at Tofu the Bold, Allison Hugh, who um, they were really great to work with. And we were so lucky that they colored almost the entire book. And if I may, Sam, I'd love to shout out uh, a couple of the other guest artists who helped us out with the book. Um, uh, Mason Bykowski did some line work in the back half of the book. Uh, You and I both know Mason. Mason's an incredible storyboard artist, and we're lucky enough to work with them on a lot of uh, projects. And then, so we do, in the book, we do three different flashback scenes And one of my goals from the beginning with those scenes was to do them in styles that were different from my own. And uh, we wanted to find three very, very different artists to kind of tell the backstory of three of the characters of the book. And the first one uh, is someone we also, you and I both know really well, uh, Jeff Asato Schutze. And um, we love Jeff. And (laughs) uh, he's... Uh, he's been a webcomic artist for a long time. He did a comic called Jeffbot, uh, which I believe still exists on the internet. Um, Jeff is also a storyboard artist with the two of us. He was on Tuca and Birdie, and I had him do the book of Clint. As usual, just like he does with his storyboards, he went absolutely above and beyond. Um, he did this really amazing flashback scene called The Book of Clint, and it's kind of like a little bit of a medieval inspired thing where Clint like has a sword and he's going on this epic quest. And uh, as you might imagine, Jeff was really, really good at that. The second flashback scene is called The Book of Wanders. And I had been admiring this artist called uh, Modavei at M-U-D-A-V-A-Y-E for a really long time on both Instagram and Twitter. They are a Brazilian artist living in the UK, and um, oh my god, they do these really, really incredible uh, capoeira comics, which is like a Brazilian martial dancing martial art, and they're all these just like really amazing queer, very muscular, masculine women, and I love the way they draw, and I 
figured they would be absolutely perfect for the Book of Wanders to tell Wanders' story. And um, yeah, Motivei absolutely crushed it as well. So uh, stoked on the work they did. And they're another artist that I think everyone should follow because I love the way they draw. And then lastly, towards the end of the book, we have a section called the Book of Skyla. And we found this artist, E.J. Han, on uh, the internet as well. And I really like their super clean line style, and I really love their illustrative style. And she did the Book of Skyla. And uh, once again, it's really awesome when you see an artist online and you admire them, and you ask them to do this thing for you, and they say yes. Um, it's kind of a dream that we've got basically our first, pretty much our first choices on all three of those books uh, to, to do these flashback sections. And I'm really proud of the work they did. And I hope they're proud of the work they did. And uh, we're just super honored to have them be a part of the One More Year story. And then for another section of the book, I was looking online for artists and on Twitter, uh, now X, I guess, I saw this amazing artist who was doing all these really wonderful uh, gay illustrations and comics. And it was like a basketball player and this nerdy guy with glasses who was really into the basketball player. And I couldn't believe how much the characters looked like our characters, Clint and Modulus. So uh, I messaged them and this ended up being Richard Mercado, uh, who is a Filipino artist. He's from the Philippines living in the United States. And Richard, um, at Richard, M-E-R-C-Z, I believe on Instagram. Richard is an incredible artist, writer, colorist in his own right. Like he has so many like amazing mini comics. He's currently in the process of making his own graphic novel and um, his work is beautiful. His storylines are sweet and sensitive and funny. And I can't say enough about how up and coming Richard is anyway. So reached out to him on Twitter and asked him to draw a section of the book that I think ends up hopefully being near and dear to his heart. And he did such a good job with it. Um, <laughs> in retrospect, it was a little bit of an unfair ask of him to suddenly be able to draw 13 characters correctly, because the very first scene I gave him was a barbecue scene that had almost all of the characters in the book in it. And uh, he knocked it out of the park and crushed it and um, just a testament to his skill as an artist, Richard, um, I can't say enough about how talented he is. And uh, we were really, really lucky to have him. And I think he's going to be a star in his own right. Thank you so much for the team shout out, Megan. Just another reason to contribute to this Kickstarter and witness this all-star team. I honestly can't wait to see everyone's contribution in this graphic novel. Um, oh, what was I just going to ask? Uh, oh, have you played, have you only played on co-ed teams or have you played in the women's? I played a little bit of the women's division, um, but I didn't get all that fun, juicy drama <laughs> at the time. Somehow I, I played on the most heterosexual women's ultimate team on the planet. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Um, <laughs> but, I know, I know. And I was in a relationship, I think, for most of my ultimate years anyway. But no, I like I like mixed. Um, I think it, it's a part. Of, it's a reason that sport is set apart from a lot of other sports. I think especially um, I should mention the comics about Beach Ultimate. Mm. And I think Beach Ultimate. Oh, mixed, there's different. There's different. There's grass. You can play on the grass or you can play on the beach. I think the beach is the best version of the game. Because um, it's like five on five grass. It's seven on seven. It's a bigger field. It's like soccer. It's yeah. like. I think it's a little less exciting, whereas beach is like a little more intense, a little more like basketball, a little tighter field. And, um, and I like, I actually really like playing with men on the field because I like throwing to tall guys. I have a lot of throws that allow me to like kind of throw over the top oh. that really benefit me if I have like tall players, which you don't get as much usually height differentials yeah. with the women's division, but yeah, um, I mean, I like all versions of the game and if there were more opportunities to play women's, I probably would. Yeah. yeah. I mean, since you kind of mentioned it, but was Ultimate Frisbee, like, how did you get into it? Was it 
originally something you found in college or was it something that you found as a stress reliever from work? Oh, both. Um, okay, so I actually knew of it in college. I went to Edinburgh University of uh, Pennsylvania for animation school. It's now called something else because it was a small school. It's called a name of a school that I'm not going to acknowledge because it's still Edinburgh <laughs> to me. Um, and I knew of Ultimate Frisbee and it's and one of my really good friends in college played it. So And I used to party with the Ultimate Kids. I never really partied much. I was so lame. Uh, I shouldn't say the word lame. I was so <laughs> such a dork. I rarely drank in college and rarely partied. But when I did, I would find the Ultimate people because they seemed really fun and weird and cool. Um, so... I decided to try and go to one practice, and I'm I am quite athletic, not to toot my own horn. So I like thought, oh, I'm gonna be awesome at this immediately, and I remember being able to catch the frisbee and get open, but then I tried to throw it and it would just go straight into the ground, and I was oh so as such a like an aggro jock at the time. I just I got so frustrated. I went to one practice and I would get wide open and they throw it to me and I'd miss it because I didn't know how to catch a frisbee, and I'm just like, yeah, this sport's not for me. I want to be, <laughs> I want to focus on being good at animation right now. Like, I will learn this later. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really did, like, buckle down and super hard focus on animation in college, and then when I graduated and moved to Los Angeles, I got invited to play Ultimate Frisbee. I had one friend when I moved to LA. She was in animation, and they had a group of people that, on every Wednesday night, they played this most ridiculous ultimate frisbee pickup game. It was like 14 people versus 14 people. Oh it was in North Hollywood. Oh. At that park in North Hollywood. Yeah. Which one, you know which one. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was just the most chaotic ultimate frisbee game ever. But it was really all I had when I moved there. I moved to LA without a job, without mm. friends. So that was my one thing I had to look forward to as I was like stressing about money and what I was going to do with my life and finding a career in animation. And I actually almost got hooked by ultimate, the ultimate bug. I remember I was like trying to go to tournaments. You can get really hooked because you could play all over the world. You can try to be on like the best club team in the United States. Like you can get really, really like you travel, you could travel all summer for this sport. And, and get paid for it or? No, that's oh, exactly okay. the problem. You don't get paid for it. <laughs> like all out of your pocket. <laughs> yeah, it's all out of your pocket. Um, so yeah, it's ridiculous. You don't get paid. And meanwhile, I'm like, kind of struggling to find an animation job and I was going to go to this amazing tournament in Hawaii and I remember I had everything but the flight booked and I was like you know what I need I came to LA to be good at animation I came to make get a job in the industry I need to like dial back the ultimate frisbee now and I did that and I was like I'm not going to Hawaii I'm going to spend this whole weekend I was going to play on the beach in Hawaii I'm going to like apply for every animation job I can find that was the week I applied for the South Park job wow. believe it or not so Ultimate has kind of always run parallel with my animation career. Like, it's always the thing that's tempting me away from animation, but it's mm -hmm. also always the thing that is bringing me relief from the industry and relief from animation. So I'm hoping that this comic will finally be the marriage, like, the perfect marriage of the two, the balance of, like, the art, the, the drawing and art and storytelling that I love and this weird sport that I'm also obsessed with. So, like... Yeah. You know, I hope it's the perfect confluence of, of my two passions and that a lot of people enjoy it and like it. So. Yeah. I want to go back to the fact that one, you were partying. It seemed like you were only partying with Ultimate Frisbee people in college, <laughs> which I, is not a bad thing. But then the fact that when you came to California, was that, did you know that animation person was in Ultimate Frisbee or was interested or was that just random happenstance? It was happenstance. Like I knew her to be an athlete, but it just happened to be the sport that they played. And I, I met some people who I'm still <laughs> friends with to this day at that pickup game in North Hollywood. Like, and like fate? In the industry. Like, one of them, uh, he works for like God of War now. Like, oh, so there's like damn. some really cool people. One of them is like, He's like, I think he's done visual effects on like Taylor Swift videos. So like wow. I met a lot of cool industry, industry people. One of them works as an editor in animation. Actually, her partner does. She, she never played Frisbee, but yeah. So I met a lot of amazing people at that very first pickup game. Um, and, um. Do they still play Ultimate Frisbee like you or? Not everybody does. I think I probably took the bait the most out of all of them. Mm. No, there's one other woman who I met, one of my very first friends in LA. Her name's Leah Dolan Kelly and she actually works for she got out of the film industry she came to la to work in the film industry she now actually does get paid to do ultimate stuff she works for the usa <sighs> ultimate company that's cool so she lives in colorado and she now is like one of the main people at this governing body of ultimate so we both kind of went 
we met in this pickup game, which is rare. Most people started to play Ultimate in college, like we talked mm-hmm. about. It's very rare to like just kind of find it randomly and then find your way into like the more intense versions of the sport. Yeah. But we both did, and we both are still heavily involved in, in it to this day. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of random and luck. Coincidence? Fate? I think it was. I think it... You were you were meant to for this moment. Like... Yeah, yeah. I've actually. I'll even tell you one more little offshoot of that story. So, when I first got to California, I wasn't out yet. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, and I was ready to be. But then when I finally did come out, I was I was completely alone. And my roommate was like, "I know one gay person. You should go hang out with her." Oh my gosh! Like who was like? But she was like. 10, 15 years older than me. He was just like, you need to talk to someone. I can't help you. Oh, no. <laughs> he was a straight boy. And uh, and I, I hung out with her and her partner at the time. And I remember I was like, she was like, you need to meet some girls your own age. Why don't you? My friend plays this sport, Ultimate Frisbee. I hear you play that. And I was like, yeah, go to this pickup game. I hear it's pretty intense. And believe it or not, that was my gateway into like the more serious Ultimate because I was just playing very casual. So like, Coming out of the closet was actually also what led me to Ultimate because I never would have found the more serious Ultimate yeah. Frisbee. She's like, go to the Rose Bowl, show up there, and and just like go play there. And I was like, okay, I guess, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, and um, and that's where I also met, like, started to meet some of my most favorite Ultimate uh, friends, and I got into the sport a little bit more seriously. I showed up without cleats. Apparently, you need cleats to play. Like, oh shit! <laughs> the Ultimate Frisbee. I didn't know that when I first started playing. I just yeah. showed up in sneakers and. You know, forty-year-old women were like torching me up and down the field in like their in their cleats, and I was just like, "How are they so good at this?" <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was really fun, but yeah. So I, I guess that's another part of the story that, like, yeah, Ultimate's kind of always been intertwined with some of the bigger moments in my life. Yeah, and yeah. it's uh, it's like community. It's a really, really beautiful community, and I do want to add, like, I hope I'm not too gay on this podcast, but. Uh... <laughs> Never, 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 never but um, one of the things I like about Ultimate I'm is... I'm like, this could be gayer. <laughs> yes, Sam, yes. Uh, <laughs> not enough. Uh, uh, yeah, it's so... like, wait, I'm sorry. It's no. like that uh, Kylo Ren meme where he's like, more. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, more, more gay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's a really progressive, accepting community in, in, in my experience. And one of the things I really also like about it is I know with all the stuff going on with like trans people in sports, uh, I feel like mm. Ultimate is one of the communities that's really pushing to like be accepting and inclusive and, you know, really use like a lot of language that's gender inclusive as well. Oh, nice. Like we try not to say like men's and women's I know I've said it a bunch this time but like we try to say like women matching players male matching players mm. when you're playing defense like if you would ma- prefer to match up with a woman or you know like a male matching person so like we try to like really we've really the sport has been really thoughtful about like inclusivity and making sure everyone could participate and it's one of the other reasons I, I really like it yeah do you think ultimate frisbee would ever become a mainstream sport or or do you kind of hope that it like stays where it is it's funny you kind of nailed the sentiment of the whole community is that there it's like there's both camps there's the people that really think this is the greatest sport ever everyone should know about this and play it but then there's also like the keep ultimate weird people who <laughs> are like no this is our weird sport we don't want everyone we don't want all the normies to play it and there's been like a big push to get ultimate in the olympics and stuff like that oh wow like, like and uh, we haven't succeeded yet, and there's a lot of people who are like, no, this is this is not for us. We need to be, like, running in the grass barefoot and be tie-dyed and, you know, <laughs> keep ultimate silly and weird. And then there's, like, the whole contingent of, no, we must treat this like a very serious sport. And, uh, yeah. So there's, like, <laughs> both sides. I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle. I'm like, I want the next generation of people, whoever that might be, to mm-hmm. kind of steer the sport. And I just hope it continues to be inclusive gender inclusive and also like racially inclusive as well because it did kind of start out as a very like white sport Mm. and i just hope that you know ultimate can continue to like just be a welcoming place for all communities because i think it's been really good to me and i i want other people to you know have the love that i felt from it yeah for all these years uh knowing that you're athletic what other sports have you played or Uh, I played a lot of basketball, um, and softball 
And I like to run and I like to rock climb. I do a little bit of everything, really. Yeah, that's really nice. Uh, okay, so which do you like more, playing sports or watching sports? Ooh, playing definitely. Like, <laughs> I love watching sports, but yeah, you know, like we're talking about with this podcast, kind of the theme is that it's my escape from being at the computer drawing all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it maybe makes me a better animator and like agreed maybe like a better person for drawing poses because i love being physical i love like when i draw i like to feel how the pose is gonna feel yeah and i would like to think it makes me better at my job maybe not but no i agree as somebody who um maybe i don't watch sports but i do enjoy playing sports yeah and uh, especially like recently, I was on the Rick and Morty softball team. Were like, you? Well, before the pandemic. Oh, cool. <laughs> but uh, playing softball there was really like feeling the weight of things. And yeah. um, I, I feel that I can apply that more to my drawings as well of being like, oh, yeah, knowing the weight of when you throw your arms around yeah. or when you have to catch something, feeling what how that velocity comes into your hand and having to throw a ball and things like that. Exactly. It's, yeah. And that's something that, um, especially with your comic, like, it, it would have been harder if you didn't play it. I mean, oh, obviously, yeah. it would have been harder to even yeah. write it to understand it if sure. you didn't play it. But, like... Well, I go back to, like... Haikyuu, like, that's one of my favorite sports animes, and I love how, like, you watch, I'm mostly speaking about the TV show here, but, like, I think they really nailed sports action, and I love how, like, hard all the volleyball smacks feel, and the timing and the pacing of the sport is so good in that show. Yeah. And, like, I don't know how you would do that if you hadn't, like, had some experience. At least I couldn't. I'm a person, maybe it's just that I'm, like, a really physical person. I need to feel things to, like, understand them. And, yeah, yeah I, I love the animation in that show, and I love how, like, dynamic the sports action is. And I think I'd be curious to know if those people had, like, played volleyball mm-hmm. or not. But, like, what you're saying about, like, playing sports, like, yeah, you learn when you throw that if you just throw with your arm, it's not going to go very far. But if you use your whole body, your legs and your hips, yeah. that's how you throw really far. yeah. And, um, and I think that applies for like more dynamic poses as well. Like if you just move your limbs, you're not going to get a very dynamic pose, but if you're like using the whole torso and you're moving the center of gravity and, and putting the character off balance. There's that famous, um, line of action. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Uh that like really, uh, it in a simple way explains Mm -hmm. how your whole body creates the pose or creates the movement. Yeah. Which, uh, as you said, like in sports, that's to throw the ball, you need to use your whole body. It's not just your arm. Yeah. Which is a common misconception. I know when I first started, I was doing that. And it's like, why am I not? Why is that going far? (laughs) Yeah. You're like throwing it like a, um, what is it? Those like machines that just throws balls. The pitching machine. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it throwing so fast that I can't? (laughs) Why can't I be like the machine? (laughs) <laughs> yeah we're all gonna be seat machines someday sam we're, we're there. inevitable we're just there. gonna be we there we won't even get to rest because we'll be machines <laughs> that are just going all the time can i say though for the for an advocate for watching sports even though i don't like watching sports <laughs> wait you okay go ahead i will As say sports watcher <laughs> i do love um the fans the fans. So yeah. I can watch a sport if I'm watching with friends mm-hmm. or if I'm watching with the group because the fan energy is mm-hmm. so intense and yeah. so like addicting, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that um, just seeing people get so enthusiastic about it mm-hmm. in any kind of fandom, not just sports. Yeah. It's like, I think that's so great. <laughs> no, it's, it's excellent. And I'll also say like sometimes as a storyteller, as storytellers and writers, like, I can't think up things as good as things that, like, happen organically on the sports field. Like, Mm. the drama and the storylines that, like, unfold. Like, sometimes you watch a sports game and it's just mediocre, right? It's like, oh, this is boring. But, like, I recently watched uh, my favorite team, the Steelers, play the Ravens. And, like, the ending, the last, like, quarter of that game, I couldn't have scripted something (laughs) more dramatic and interesting than the way that game unfolded. And I think that's kind of the beauty of sports. It's like, 
it's like it just happens that way and there's like a storyline and there's emotions and you see the guy slam his helmet on the ground or yeah. you, like you see the play happening you see like okay this this person just messed up here and it's gonna be all their fault if they lose the game but then oh no three plays later they get an opportunity to be the hero the ball is up they get to go run for it. oh my god are they gonna catch or not it's like that to me is like the absolute like like there's so much beauty in sport storytelling in sports it's not just a bunch of people trying to like kick the ball somewhere. Yeah. Like it's about the people. It's about like the drama of the game. It's about like the tension. Those are all things that I think make us all good storytellers. Right. Yeah. Like the back and forth, the adversity, the triumph, all that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, there's even comedy sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, you know, that's true. Like, I love watching. I, I always did like watching like the, um, what are the comedy reel or the blooper reel? Yeah, sports bloopers. Uh-huh. But that brings up a good point because there are times when if I watch my dad, because typically it's like my dad watches a bunch of football mm-hmm. and I won't be interested, but then there will be that one play yeah. that then I'm just like, I can't like help but just watch because you're like, how the heck is he dodging yeah. or like getting to the goal line and everybody's like somehow fumbling or, yeah. you know, and you're just like, can't help but scream when they yeah. like make it. It's yeah. so cool. I know. I love it. I love the absolute tension. And now throw in the idea of the guy's running for the goal line, but his ex is chasing right <laughs> after him. And oh my God, is the ex going to tackle him? Or is he going to make it? So again, going back to the, the Frisbee comic, that's what's kind of fun about like the romantic drama that you see and that, well, that we have here that you're probably not going to find in, like, the NFL. But one yeah. can dream. Maybe someday. <laughs> I know. I'm, Maybe like, someday. already fantasizing. The, the, for, yeah, I know. That, that's why there's a, well, there is a whole probably corner of the internet about stuff like that. It's it's not about uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. It's probably about <laughs> Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. Like, oh, they love each other. <laughs> Do you, did you see the way that they, like, brushed arms yeah. on the field? Oh, my God. That butt tap was more than a butt tap. Yeah. I've been seeing like fan cams now where, um, because apparently in K-pop that happens a lot where it's like if they do anything that's like, you know, brushing of the hand or if they're pulling one of their members away or Uh something, then it becomes a huge like deal. (gasps) Like they do K-pop edits where people are like, look in analyzing. And I saw (laughs) this one where, um, I guess it was like a famous TikToker or something was just like with his crew, Uh but people were like, oh, now make it K-pop. And they focused in on him and one of his guy friends and how the guy friend kept like doing things that, you know, if you're just friends seems like, okay, he's just doing this thing, like either pulling him away or trying to like, you know, get him focused or something. But with the like edit, it just made it seem so like romantic, like, <laughs> oh, he's pulling him away because he wants him closer. Oh, he's holding his hand and like... Yeah, it's amazing what you can do with like a little slow motion, a little yeah. slow push and some, some sensuous some music. close-ups. But, but like, that's what we do. That's what we do as storytellers. We can, we can do that kind of thing. We can take the most benign moment and make it like so romantic. Yeah. And, like... I love it. We have the power. We have the power. Yeah. Um... So in the vein of funsies, is there a random animal fact you can tell me? Ooh, vein of funsies, a random animal fact. I wish I'd come prepared for this. <laughs> um, well... I kind of love catching people off guard. No, you totally caught me <laughs> off guard. Okay, one of the things I like, uh, you probably know this, Samantha, but I really like Ravens. Emphasis on not the yes. football team. Um, they are one of... I think like three or four species that can plan ahead. What? So the raven has the ability to, like a lot of animals, if they see an, a carcass that they want to go after, yeah, and they see a, a competitor on that carcass, they they have to act impulsively and go for it. Ravens have the ability to see that carcass, say, oh, there's some other crows that we don't like there. Crows are different from ravens, but they don't like crows. Be like, all right, we're going to go back. I'm going to go tell all my friends. And tomorrow we're done. We strike. And they'll do that. They'll bring, like, a whole group of ravens back and attack. So they have, they're really, really intelligent uh, creatures, and they have the ability to, like, make a plan. And, and, and like, incredible amounts of problem solving as well. Like, they can... They can solve, like, a multi-layered problem to get food. They can also pass the, like, marshmallow test. Oh, what's that? That's a thing where, like... That you put a marshmallow in front of a kid and say, if you don't touch it for like 15 minutes, you get a second marshmallow. Like a raven can forego an immediate reward 
in the promise of knowing that like I can get a bigger reward if I wait or if I do something different or if I take a tool instead of taking the food, I know that the tool will get me into something that will give me way more food so they can, they can pass that marshmallow test. That's, those are my animal mm. facts about, about ravens. That they're, I love that. I did not yeah, know any of those. I think bees and maybe ants are the other species and humans, obviously that can also like plan ahead in that way. Yeah. But um, yeah, it ravens are one of the few. Interesting about how do they talk? If that makes sense. Um, like, how do they communicate that? Well, they have really complex language, and I think they don't use words in the way we do. I don't... I, I, re- I read a book about ravens, and I think it's more about, like, their intonation. I'm, I'm not an expert um, more than anything. Maybe it's also body language, too. But, <laughs> yeah, it's like... With their wings. Yeah. Flapping. Um, no, they, um, I don't know. They're, they, they do have like a really, really complex vocal range. That can... reminds me. I've been seeing more... Um, again, internet videos where they show like, and I forgot which animal species specifically, maybe it was, no, it was bees. Bees. But um, apparently bees dance to yeah, communicate. they do. They do like a, like a circle-y dance and like figure eights, right? Don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I've heard that. Which, okay, so the video didn't explain <laughs> how they did it, but the, <laughs> they, they were, it was like two people doing random dances and then having like a whole conversation <laughs> that was like subtitled on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Like, yeah, yeah. That's okay. I don't know. I don't know if Ravens do it that way. I think they're, they're vocal... They're, uh, I don't know if they have vocal cords, but their, their way of speaking is really complex. They can, do you know they can mimic like the sound of a toilet flushing or an explosion? They can, they can mimic really complex things, like not I can, just humans. I can imagine that. Especially yeah, like, since like parrots and parakeets. Yeah, can, like that. Yeah. yeah. So. Which birds. Birds are cool. Birds are cool. Um. Renew Tuca and Birdie. <laughs> bring it back. Birds bring are cool. Back. Birds are cool. Tuca and Birdie. Yeah. <laughs> bring it out there. Yeah. Just, just putting that onto the universe. <laughs> Uh, so as part of the show, I'd like to pull out a tarot card for the episode. Oh We're at the tarot card part. <laughs> Amazing. I'm nervous. You're nervous. It's don't been, be nervous. It's been a wild year. Oh my gosh. All right. How's my Kickstarter going to do? Please don't uh, pull no. inverted wealth. <laughs> We're just, um, so I'm just going to, uh, shuffle the cards. Okay. And, um, let me just say this again. As part of the show, I like to pull out a tarot card for the episode because who knows, maybe someone needs to hear it today. And um, so as I shuffle, I'm using the um, Universal Fantasy Tarot deck. And uh, I used this last time. And it's by Paolo Martinello. And yes, yeah, so we're just pulling one card. Just okay. one card, Megan. <laughs> One that leaves my ah, uh, there's all the marbles. It's all the marbles. It's terrifying. What so, if we pull a bad one? Can we have a redo and just cut this oh part my out? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm just gonna shuffle, and you just tell me when to stop. Okay, I'm gonna close my eyes and feel it. Okay, stop. Okay, and now choose a card. This one. This is the one. That's the one. All right. My fate is in your hands. What is it? Ooh. <gasps> death. What the fuck? No! <laughs> no, death is a good card. What? It's actually a good oh card. Oh my god. <laughs> it's, it's a good card. Trust what? me. Let okay. me tell you about okay, death. Okay, okay, okay. Death. <laughs> death. <laughs> I know, but the way I said it, it was, like, it was not positive. <laughs> oh my god, I hate it. Um, well, because, all right, well, so I'm going to read the description because, um, I love the descriptions for this card. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes we cannot avoid a major change. We should not be afraid of setting out on a new path. Oh God. That's terrifying. (laughs) They're just like smiling at her. (laughs) That's for a listener out there. That one's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That one's for you listeners. I think. No. What do you think? I think especially with one more year about to come out. Yeah. You haven't, um, and death being a rebirth. Okay. So this is going to be a major change for you. Yeah. And, uh, let me go back to the description. <laughs> and I, pull I, I feel like there's not really much room for interpretation of the word death, but okay. <laughs> no, because, uh, death is more like you need to end this part end of your, this life, part of your life and move on. to 
uh, yeah, bring in the next part of your life that's going to be okay. even cooler. Because if you look at the card. Okay. Um, what is, yeah, describe it. Uh, do you want me to describe it to the people? Yeah, do it, do it. Oh my gosh. It's scary. It's a, a person lying, their head is back and they are clearly not alive. <laughs> and they're holding a sword like they have fallen in battle. And then there's this even scarier person with hair that kind of looks like mine. Uh, oh that is like like in all black, lording over them, and they have a very ominous looking horse beside them, and it's swirling, and it's it's like pure pure horror. Um, <laughs> I'm like, it's not horror. It's cool. It's cool, it's but goth. but look, we have the same hair. Me and yeah, this, you should post crazy. the photo. Of... Oh yeah, let me take a photo of you right now. Funny. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I think that's. I'm being dramatic. I you know. are. You are being dramatic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, <laughs> you are being dramatic. I was. <laughs> this is good. This is good uh, entertainment. This no, is... I. I don't think you're being. I think you're. Um. I think that just shows how much you're afraid about what's next. Aww. Because you see this as a negative, while I'm like really excited about you. <laughs> um. But and I think that just shows. That uh, you like, you think this person's scary, but I think it's just you're afraid of that next level up that's mm. coming for you. Because it's more like you're not sure of what's going to happen. You're right. That's, that's incredibly true. Yeah. So um, as much as it seems scary, I think it'll be something that you'll need to embrace. But it'll be something that's even better than what you expected. That's a really sweet and generous interpretation, Sam, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I am still scared. but <laughs> You're still scared, but just know that you're going to be a cool goth. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I'm going to enter my Edward Scissorhands phase. <laughs> my Ky- speaking of Kylo Ren, more. That guy looks like Kylo Ren. I'm entering my Kylo Ren phase. I'm ready. I'm ready to embrace the darkness. Let's go. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for being here and talking with me. Where can people find you and follow your work, hear the latest updates, snag a copy from Kickstarter? Yeah. So my Instagram is at Megan Praz. My comics Instagram, more importantly, is at Contested Strip. And if you look at Contested Strip Projects one more year on Kickstarter, we launched on October 16th. You can snag a copy, pre-order the book, um, and it's going to be awesome. And just in case if there's anybody listening to this that is interested, uh, what happens if the Kickstarter is done? Are you going to be doing, like, releasing a second copy? Yes. Um, So if the idea with the Kickstarter is we're actually using the Kickstarter to fund a much larger book order than what we'll probably sell for the Kickstarter. We're not just mm-hmm. printing the number of books that we sell. We are investing that money into selling more books or uh, printing more books, I should say. So we'll have a second run. Our first run is coming out in November. So if you really want to get on it, snag one of the first 200 copies. You can have the book this year, but then you could also look for it on Amazon or on our website and you'll be able to get it sometime in 2024 when the second printing comes out. Is there, um, because it, as many people know, Kickstarter is like a, has reward system. Yes. What kind of rewards do you have? Or Oh, um, so there's a lot of fun rewards. So we have a couple um, Ultimate Frisbee partners. We partnered with VC Ultimate. They're an apparel company. They're doing a replica jersey of the jerseys of our team that you could buy. So you can oh, actually wow. like wear the team jersey. We're doing like a cool hat with the team name on it. We have a Frisbee, which I just designed today and I'm really excited about. I don't even want to say what it is. You have to find it online. Um, So you can have like a custom one more year Frisbee. We have a partnership with, I have to mention all my sponsors. (laughs) We have a partnership with Layout Gloves. So there's a character in the comic named Modulus who wears gloves and plays in gloves. So we have a custom glove coming out for him. And then we have um, some sand socks also from our other sponsor, Toke, who does ultimate frisbee cleats and they're really awesome like european company and um yeah they have they have like really really cool ultimate frisbee cleats that's awesome yeah we got some sponsors yeah the whole we hope the whole community is gonna rally behind us for this project so yeah oh and then yeah there's just some like other like little things like some custom artwork and uh yeah 
more more merch to come hopefully over time if this picks up yeah so if you're interested in ultimate frisbee or hopefully ultimate frisbee uh players are listening (laughs) yeah maybe they are uh yeah support the comic i get like you know extra merch and um cosplay cosplay (laughs) go to your local go to find your local pickup game um in especially if you're in los angeles there's there's some really fun games on the beach. Um, there's an LGBTQ game on the beach called Rainbow Beach Ultimate. Yeah, find your local pickup game. You never know what it'll take you. Meet some of your friends for life, maybe even your future partner, maybe your your future ex-partner who you'll <laughs> then have a, have a run have a with on the field. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a great sport. Um, come out and play. <laughs> Thank you again, Megan, for being on the podcast and um, just being amazing. <laughs> uh, You're amazing, Sam. I appreciate you doing this. It's really cool. Oh my God. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, So sadly, we are at the end. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, you know, all the things. You can also follow Tired and Thriving on Instagram at Tired and Thriving, all one word. You can email if you want to reach out, give feedback, or let me know maybe how you've been uniquely thriving at tiredandthriving at gmail.com. Thank you again, and I hope you all have a thriving week. See you next time.